1: Black boy, black 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 boy, black 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 boy, black 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 boy, What is up everybody, my name is James Fiore, and this is Blackball. Well, sometimes um, you have a guest just sort of land in your lap and that's what happened to me a few hours ago. But I had to ask him to come on because his story is so compelling. He is a Canadian-Ukrainian, I believe he's a dual citizen but he'll, he might have to correct me on that. And his bio is so eclectic that I don't even I don't even know where to begin. He's an IT guy. He's a technology guy. He said he got tired of the corporate world. And then a couple of years ago, I think it was during the pandemic, he st- he started doing um, work with a company called Endema. But what happened when the war in Ukraine broke out is he started finding ways to get equipment to the Ukrainian people and to the Ukrainian military. Um, and he was also a contestant on The Voice in Ukraine which is one of the most amazing sidebar facts that I can ever imagine. But there is so many twists to what he told me today, and I don't want to mess it up because, as I said, I did just get to know him. But I'm going to, you know what, I'll save it for him because I don't want to mess it up because the thing with the drone, you guys are not going to believe what he told me about drones. This is like one of the greatest stories ever, and it involves 3D printers. So without further ado, I would like to welcome to the show, Alex Paziak Is that right? That's right. I did it. Yeah. I did the Thank pronunciation you, correctly. Thank you. <laughs> Alex, so um, we met through a mutual friend who made me promise not to name him, so we won't, but um, he okay. was kind enough to give me your number, and I called you today, and what you told me in that phone call was so impressive to me. Um, I should say also, I, I'm going to say this at the end of the, of the show, that you are speaking at this event. It's called the Frontline Narratives. See the war in Ukraine through the eyes of the front line. And you are a guest speaker along with James Chalice, who was a Canadian soldier serving in Ukraine against Russia from March to September 2022. Is that correct? That's correct. That's where I met James. Yeah. Okay. So. I don't know where you want to start with this because there are so many little twists and turns. But let's let's start with your story. Um, you're from Toronto, I believe, right? And are you born yes. in Ukraine, or do you have family there? Are you a dual citizen? How does that work?
2: Yeah, no, I'm I'm uh, I'm a Canadian. I'm born in Canada to uh, Ukrainian parents uh, that came over uh, after World War II. So part of the Ukrainian diaspora here. Um, any sort of uh, person that's part of the Ukrainian diaspora, your, your parents, well, not only your first language is Ukrainian as mine was at home before I went to school, uh, but then you continue with uh, Ukrainian studies, night school. Uh, we all had to attend that. Of course, Ukrainian dancing is a major piece of you being a, you know, good Ukrainian in, in the diaspora uh, going to church and so forth. So, uh, I grew up as many other Ukrainians, uh, to parents, uh, after world war II, uh, here in Canada. Um, yeah, you know, I w- I always had fun at the Ukrainian pavilion during, I can't remember what
1: festival it was, but Oshawa used to have this festival and it was like, uh, you know, you go to the Italian pavilion or the Ukrainian, p- what was that called? Do you remember that?
2: Yeah. F- Fiesta week
1: fiesta week that's right
2: yes and the ukrainian yeah. pavilion
1: was the greatest pavilion i remember growing up it was just i don't know uh, if it was that like a uh, a ukrainian social club or whatever it was but in oshawa i think it was on simcoe street and yeah. everyone would make sure. sure are we going to the ukrainian did we go yet do you want to go back like it was always like the it was the most festive the food was great and the dancing and the dresses and everything like it was all very yeah. culturally exquisite yeah. i thought mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Now, so you you then you started working in IT, and let's let's fast forward to I guess twenty fourteen. Okay, and twenty fourteen uh, was when um, Russia decided to annex Crimea,
2: right? Yeah, I'll take a step just prior to that, right? Which sure, is, go ahead. Is a significant event, which was the Maidan, right? It's it's sort of what caused that momentum. Uh, for uh, Ukrainians in in Ukraine to demonstrate against uh, their president at the time, Yanukovych, uh, which basically uh, did an about-face where he was supposed to sort of get closer to the West, sign agreements and so forth, and he overnight sort of switched uh, back to sort of Putin and Russia. Uh, He's yet another puppet, right, of, of Putin's. And uh, that started the Maidan revolution, right? So we could have a whole topic, you know, hours on what happened there or what occurred there. Um, but soon after, uh, where Yankovych fled uh, to Russia, of course, he's there today. Um, uh, Putin decided, hey, great time, right, to uh, come into uh, uh, Crimea, annex Crimea and start a war on, uh, Ukraine's Eastern border in the, uh, in the Donbass, uh, you know, area. Mm.
1: Why is the Donbass area so controversial? Like, you know, Canada has some Nazis. Um, America has some Nazis, all these freedom loving countries have their contingent of bad seeds. Why was it, uh, propagandized so heavily? I mean, I guess I can answer that question, but what element were they taking and and uh, Russia and their propaganda machine, and creating this international, almost like international rumor that uh that that all this this province donbass is run by nazis and this and that how like what were they playing off of because i know that there is like the smallest morsel of truth to that and then they just made it seem like the entire province was just crawling with nazis with guns right
2: yeah it was it wasn't so i'm I'm gonna correct you a little bit sure Um, please the that's not why they sort of went into the Donbass. Uh, basically, it was it's on the border of Russia. Uh, and I'm not an expert on the sort of beginnings of that war. I know quite a few people that are. Um, the, the key to all of this is, and you've brought up sort of two areas, right? It's mm-hmm. Russia's uh, propaganda. They're very good at that, right? Uh, the big propaganda that, uh, well, the premise is that's why they started the war. They were all Nazis, right? Yeah, uh, I guess I'm an extension of a Nazi living in Canada now, right? So uh you but- think that's bad. I look like a Nazi. Like, it's awful. <laughs> Together we make a good pair, I guess. Yeah. Um, so you know, so there, there's that piece through their RT television, through their propaganda. Uh they've done a a, a stellar job in, in conveying a particular narrative, right? Um, and the other piece is that Look at all these Russian speakers. Uh, If you're a Russian speaker, which primarily there are many in that area of the Eastern Ukraine and South, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And again, we could get into a big historical discussion on why Uh, the premise- talk whatever you want to talk about. I mean, like we're not just like, you know, like we can,
1: I I know that you, yeah, we don't want to sidetrack it, I guess in, in a way, but I rely on people- to educate me on this subject, because as much as I want to say that I'm informed and I think a lot of like people in Canada feel this way, I I want to feel informed. I I want to read things, but you know, the, the, the Russian propaganda, when, when people tell me that Glenn Greenwald is a Russian asset, I'm like, Maybe he just has an opinion that happens to align a little bit with Russia. Like, I, right. I, I'm i not right. very quick to just buy that, like, Chris Hedges and Glenn Greenwald are these Russian assets, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, um, is it a difficult? Uh, these are difficult waters to navigate if you're looking for the truth, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. You know what?
2: The the truth is there Uh, and and the issue, just to continue, right? So there's the whole Nazi narrative. And then the other narrative that they've they've presented is that look at all these Russian speaking uh, citizens inside of Ukraine. Uh, They'll say the same thing about Latvia. There's a lot of Russian speakers and Russians in Latvia, Moldova, right? Um, So that was the other premise, right? It's like, we're going in to protect, right? Russians yeah. right now there are many many russian speaking ukrainians that are yeah. fighting against russia right so that doesn't hold water either now there's a whole historical context to why there's so many russian speakers and even sort of you know uh, native russians in those parts of ukraine and that's because when Stalin came in, you know, his tactic is, well, A, let's starve them out, right? So there's the whole Holodomor, which you may have heard of, six million yep. Ukrainians died. Um, there's the history of Crimea, where he basically took Crimean Tatars and millions, moved them out to Siberia, right? Russians are very good in going into populations and just moving them out and moving their own in right um and that's that's primarily the setup to sort of the war right and 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 that that narrative that uh look at all the russian speakers uh they must be pro-russian right and there's another little interesting kind of slant uh, slant on this and of course ukraines are all nazis right um what was very interesting and that's why i, I sent you that video clip i'm going to use it on the uh Uh, on friday right where it sort of introduces you to the to the war in ukraine on february 24th right Mm -hmm. um his idea i guess his own propaganda was that as soon as he crosses that border with all these tanks all these ukrainians i guess a lot of russian-speaking ukrainians are going to just sort of greet them with bread and salt and you know they're going to basically greet them as saviors now I, I true, truly believe everything that I've read uh, and, and listened to that they they sort of believed in their own bullshit propaganda, that that really? was going to happen, right? And that's why they rolled in thinking there was going to be not a lot of resistance. They're going to take Kiev in like, I don't know, four or five days. But even, you know, this is the, this is the, the remarkable thing, right? There's these moments in history, and this is one of them, right? This is... A notable moment in history, just like 9-11 was, we can go back in time. But this is one of those moments, right? Where, you know, the the Russian army, the second strongest on the planet, right, you know, comes in and poor Ukraine is going to give up in four or five days. The West believed it, right? You know, from what I've read and what I've seen, um, Ukraine wasn't given, um, you know, artillery, realistically, like HIMARS, right? Everyone loves their HIMARS now, right? Uh, They were given javelins and m And so those types of weapons are primarily used um, for a sort of, um, you know, kind of like street fighting, um, a partisan type of war, right? So the West truly thought Russia was going to come in. They were going to take over Kiev. They're going to take over Ukraine. Didn't know exactly how much of Ukraine but Ukrainians were already armed with N laws and javelins and they were going to sort of, you know, cause this partisan war. Right. Um, That didn't happen. We shocked the world. Like it just, it's an amazing story. What happened. Right. Um,
1: I I had uh, John Spencer on the show who I mentioned to you today. He's an urban warfare expert. Excuse me. He's a member of the American military. He's uh, he's seen three or four tours. I think he wrote a handbook that the Ukrainian military uses to train their civilian force. Anyways, he told me the other day the exact same thing that you just said, which is that up until they went in uh, on February 24th of this year, they, experts at the Pentagon, thought that Russia had a formidable military. military. Yeah. They, they thought that they had more equipment. They thought they had more troops. They thought that they had troops that were you know, that could handle themselves better than what these Russians appear to appear to be able to handle themselves. And what he said was that the, the will of the civilian people to just not allow their country or their provinces to be occupied or, at least, you know, at least as, as much as they could was such a surprise to not just Russia, but to the West, like you said, to the that world. really it's a story. I just got goosebumps because I'm thinking about, you know, what it must be like to, to live inside your home country and defend it and and volunteer for the military and you know and it seemed like like i know there were, there was a war measures act sort of thing enacted in february mm-hmm. and they didn't have to conscript because everyone just kind of volunteered
2: yes yeah what well, what happened was um yes they, they were basically handing out weapons to civilians uh whoever wanted to show up uh they were given a, a a gun and ammunition and they organized themselves into sort of they call themselves territorial defense units mm-hmm. um many of these people um you know I've been in Ukraine 2 years so uh, some of them I've uh, I've I've lost friends right people that I knew that uh we had fun with uh, we went to the beach um, And these were, these were veterans. These were people that had fought before, uh, They, they had, you know, since 2014. And when this, uh, when this happened, there was no question. It was like, let me think about it. Maybe, no, all the veterans just engaged. People engage. It's like just a remarkable story. Many of them, the whole tank battles that were coming down from Belarus, right? um yeah. a lot of people lost their lives right they went they went at these tanks themselves right knowing they've got to protect their country we have
1: no idea in north america what what that is like the, the, no the, we, we don't we don't And yeah. i
2: don't ever want to either but i mean i think you know we're like we're James, pretty- it, it's it's like a it's like a seriously it's like a it's like a hollywood movie that's the only thing i can sort of point to right hmm. the beginning of the war right russia they've got a you know it, it's i'm not a war expert but i i i know a little bit about sort of tactics and how they do this right you got to capture airports right yeah. um so well, i saw that in one, that video that you sent. yeah was, one of the, was the like biggest two. one of the biggest airports it's a military airport north of kiev hostome right uh, there's a, a the city of Hostomel too right um so their plan was attack helicopters 20 of them were sent in with troops right uh some of them landed Right. Ukraine sort of, you know, engaged in battle at the airport. But the key was that they had something like 18 transport, military transport planes hovering. I guess I don't know if that's the word hovering, but basically circ- circling around in Belarus for the helicopters. And the. Sp- it's all special forces. Like this was the best of the best that Russia yeah. had, the pride of Russia. Right. To come in, take the airport. And then fly those 18 planes down into that airport and, and just start the process of taking over all of Kiev. Right. So we took down two of those airports. Right. Zelensky and, and the generals basically said, thou shall not let those things land. So they, they attempted to land the first two. We knocked those down. Right. Hmm. That's why, you know, the military personnel, there was paratroopers that were being dropped. You we were shooting them out of the sky. It's it's unbelievable. Like when I watch that movie, uh, the, the, the film, the documentary, uh, much of that. Look, I was busy at the time sort of doing stuff for the army and, and, and bringing over vehicles. At the end of the day, I, I, I saw some of it, but I didn't dwell on it. Right. Uh, but even I just saw that piece like two weeks ago. And it was just amazing to see what was going on. Right. Uh, yeah. everybody was engaged. There was a process. Uh, everyone clicked in. Um, the other, the other piece was, which was fascinating. There's another stat that there was on Google maps. They could see that it was like, it was something like 60 kilometers worth of tanks coming wow. down from Belarus. And another 12 kilometers, uh, on the Harkiv side, right, um, and basically, yeah, we looked at that, and the boys engaged. I'm I'm extremely proud. One of the uh, one of the messages in that um, in that video is uh, Ero Rozvitka, which translates into Air Reconnaissance Group, right? Bunch of IT guys, right? Uh, basically engaged. These are the guys that are, are are they work with drones, right? From the beginning of the Maidan. Right. Yeah. They engaged the enemy. They, they, yeah. they found a spot where they could sort of narrow them all down into a road and jam them up. Right. And they used all of their skills and methods of drone warfare to start the process, to start slowing them down. And then, of course, you know, other Ukrainians with now their their handheld MLAs and and uh, and weapons uh, were mm. able to start taking out those tanks. And you can you can see that video, all, all those videos clearly online.
1: Can you tell me what you've been doing in Ukraine for the last two years, and then what how that sort of switched a little bit or a lot actually uh, once the war started?
2: Yeah, sure. So you you alluded to yeah, I, I sort of uh, had enough of the of the corporate world, um, and I, I wanted to sort of uh, the premise initially was to live in Europe. Obviously, Ukrainian background. Uh, I have a brother also that uh, that lives in Ukraine, um, and then of course there's a lot of things that were hap- happening in parallel. Um, when I was still working for the previous company uh, in Canada, uh, the Indima guys actually reached out to me while they were here. And so we had sort of a, a loose connection there. Uh, there was the, uh, you know, the, the, the voice performance, right? Uh, so there's a lot of stuff. Sometimes in your life, there's just, there's all these kind of, you know, things that are moving forward. And at some point there's this intersection point, right? Um, so I moved over there. Uh, and basically, I've been there for for two years, right? Uh, started working for Endema as their VP of Sales, right? Great company, right? Um, and then uh, basically, my my partner uh, Natalia Prulutska, uh, she has uh, amazing woman. Uh, she's been helping the war effort uh, since 2014. Uh, she was a restaurateur, uh, sold her businesses, and basically focused her effort on helping the men. Uh, In women of the Ukrainian armed forces, right. Um, One thing I've got to make a note of, right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, you know, when when someone uses the word volunteer, right, in Canada, what that meant was, hey, John's, you know, kind of great guy, family guy, you know, on Thanksgiving he goes and works at the soup kitchen, right, to help out, and that's great, right. I I actually never did that. I was a soccer coach and a trainer and all that kind of stuff. I guess. The premise is that I was a volunteer, volunteering over in Ukraine. And I'm going to jump around a little bit. Right. Um, The fall of the Soviet Union. Right. And, you know, basically they were in shambles. Right. Ukraine was part of that. Right. Um, Once they started to get up on their feet in the early 90s, um, Ukraine didn't really have much of an army. And And the thought was, well, if someone attacks us. Right. Um, well, Russia will kind of protect us. They're sort of friendly with us. We'll, we'll sort of kind of go with that, right? And yeah. yeah, that was early on, right? Um, so the, the the war breaks out, again, 2014, I'm, I'm referencing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the men are re- basically leaving the Maidan revolution and going right to the front. And they're all organizing themselves, right? Now- this is important. I'm going to bring in another theme here because there's many guys, Canadians, Brits, they come across. And one of the things they always ask me is, tell me about this Azov battalion, these Nazis, or, or what we hear about these guys, right? <laughs> What's that all about, right? Well, what you've got to understand is, right, the war breaks out in the East, right? Russia takes over Crimea, these Ukrainian men right um non-military people because the military was in shambles they basically armed themselves went to the east to protect their country right Mm. and they had nothing like they didn't have uniforms they didn't have weaponry like it was brutal it's the volunteers right that helped that entire process as in you know we need we need uniforms we need you know Guns, we need ammunition, we need generators, whatever it was. It was a ragtag bunch of men that were haphazardly organizing themselves into groups. One of the groups was Azov. There are many, right? But Mm -hmm. they're groups that it's like you and I and our friends get together and we're going to go fight a foe, you know. Um, at at some point, you've got to organize yourselves. At some point, sure, there may be some bad eggs in your group, right? But so what happened was these battalions were formed. They're all volunteer battalion groups, right? Fighting against the Russians, the army finally got the process together and on their feet. So by about 2016, what they were doing is uh, they were bringing in these volunteer groups under the army they're folding them under the army oh, okay. cleaning things up you know kind of putting it all back together and at that point you know uh, from what i'm hearing of you know, the west was helping and so forth right but that's an important process right if you think of the canadian army or the u.s army it's not that kind of history right of, of how reminds- this army was full uh, when you together.
1: when you were talking about it, it, it and, and i'm not talking about in a religious or an ideological sense but it reminded me of the mujahideen Uh, when russia was occupying afghanistan when you said ragtag soldiers without uniforms and things like that right and and the interesting thing is there there is a parallel there because um you know this is a proxy war whether we want to admit it or not this is a proxy war between um the west who are supplying equipment and weapons and money um Mm -hmm. and russia Uh, i don't have a problem with that um but it, it um it, it makes me think of the NATO membership and and whether or not that that would be uh, an albatross or not for, for Ukraine to eventually become a member. Um, it would be good for them, but would it be good for the West, you think?
2: Well, you know, there, there's a joke going on in Ukraine. It's like, you know, we're waiting to be introduced or, or brought into NATO. Maybe Ukraine should be waiting for NATO to come into sort of Ukrainian sphere, right? Yeah. Something yeah. along those lines, right? Yeah. Um yeah you know that's look flat out basically what you're saying is did we tempt russia did we provoke russia by going down the path of potentially wanting to join nato right i'm um, actually not saying that but but no? i i have thought that i have thought that and wondered if if
1: if nato's uh insistence on building bases closer and closer to russia like i'm just trying to look at it from an uh, a pragmatist sort of standpoint like uh, you know, I, I I believe that Russia is the bad actor in this, uh, but, you know, I, I know that the West is not always innocent of pr- provocation, you know, so sure. I'm just trying to, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, and I talked to John Spencer about this as well, and uh, the difference between Russia putting nukes in Cuba is that United States is basically surrounded by water with the exception of Canada and Mexico. But, you know, there's only one reason to put nukes in Cuba. There might be various reasons to put nato bases in sovereign countries so they have an argument that's better you know so and and i thought that uh, maybe putin was just emboldened by um, by annexing crimea
2: with little to no resistance of course all, hmm. all of those factors have a play in there the, the you know the, the the major factor is if you go back and sort of listen to putin over the years uh, the propaganda within his country and how he's stirring his citizens up, right? I've had this discussion with many people. Um, you know, there's a few Germans you're going to talk to or speak with, and they're going to glorify Hitler or say, hey, there should be a statue erected to Hitler. He ain't going to hear that, right? No. You know, after World War II, you know, the German population was was educated on the atrocities of Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. right? That didn't happen in Russia. Like, if you really think about that, right? right? We all moved on from World War II, yet to this day, they're still glorifying Stalin. Yeah. How many millions of people he murdered, not only Ukrainians, right? So, what does Gulag mean to the Russian
1: people? Like, summer camp? Like, what?
2: You know what? It's exactly like, what? Like, do you know how many people suffered? My own personal family history. It just goes on and on. But, if you just think about that for a moment, right? Like, it's not like a Russian's gonna, and I'm, I'm stereotyping, but there's a, a, you can look at statistics, very high percentage of Russians will, if not glorify Putin, they're not, or sorry, uh, well, that too, but uh Stalin, they ain't gonna say anything really bad about him. Right? Like, you know so have that discussion with a Russian friend one time what what they think of all that right but to this day that's why don't, I don't have any they, Russian friends anymore. Well there you go. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't mean, I, myself no I've there, had Russian but,
1: friends and and there is a there's a sort of uh, there's certain
2: things they don't want to talk about. Right. right. And and okay that's fine. That that's their that's their right, right? But but again back to that point, right? It's not like they educated the Russian, you know, uh, population and say, guys, let's take a really close look at what Stalin really did. Right. Yeah. That didn't happen. And so there was this momentum that just kept on moving forward. You know, I, I could I could share with you all sorts of crazy propaganda. The craziest one. Great story. Right. Oh, there um, there, there's this closer. propaganda <laughs> that there's a uh, bio labs in Ukraine that were oh, basically yes. funded by the U.S. government. Have you heard this? I have. Yes. OK, but that's not the funny part. Right. The funny part is they were showcasing which probably they still do today. And again, just fathom this being done in Canada the United States. It's crazy, right? So the, the commercial is that Ukraine has got these biolabs, and basically they're breeding these cyborg geese. And these cyborg geese, right? I, I'll send it to you after our call. These cyborg geese are basically taking down their planes. There's a commercial on this. Like, I know it's laughable. I, I couldn't believe it. But then you think to yourself... No, but they don't even call him Cyborg. It's even better than that. Is they it call zombie? Them, Please let it be no, zombie. They call them no, they call him banderivsky fascist... No, they call him, like, banderite fascist geese, Biolab geese.
1: Fascist like, geese.
2: We have fascist they, geese in Canada, and they
1: populate the lakeshore in Toronto, and they're they're pretty bad, but it I can can't. be.
2: But it just, wow. when you when you truly look at like the, the TV footage and the propaganda, it's just it's a zoo in that place. Like it really is what what they've done to their own population. Right. So, yeah. you know, and, you know, some experts that I've I've listened to, uh, every, everyone's sort of, um, you know, saying, hey, we're a, we're all at fault in the sense that we've created Putin. Because, you know, in the 90s, when they got on their feed. Right. You know the west is you know they're like okay you guys want to you know recreate sort of russia and create a democracy we we'll like you do that right uh what i'm getting to is uh the money the money of their oligarchs and their rich and putin like you know there is a bunch of programs i listen to like how much real estate do they own in the west right how many lawyers do they have in their pocket? How many realtors work for these you know, rich Russians that are buying up all sorts of soccer teams and who knows what, right? Yeah. So we sort of didn't monitor it properly, right? This
0: episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com/system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com/system.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, you know, and again, it's, it's hard to tell fact from fiction sometimes, but um, there are geopolitical experts that claim that Vladimir Putin is the richest man. In world history because all the oligarchs money are really just you know uh caches of putin cash that they're just holding on to right? right right i don't know if that's yeah. true or not yeah, those are the kind of things that like because i know that this if russia is the you know the the one of the best countries uh on earth as far as propaganda goes i'm hard pressed not to like make an argument even though it has nothing to do with this war technically but the united states is pretty good at it too <laughs> let's just be honest you're like, yeah i, I didn't want know. to
2: bring up tucker carlson but uh you know
1: <laughs> yeah any anytime a guy started his career with a bow tie you got to watch out for those ones you gotta yeah watch i know they're
2: they're serious out. dudes yeah you're right but he was a better right. guy when he had a bow tie which is weird he, he was he was a nice guy yeah now he's turned into i don't know some sort of pro-putin propagandist. so um, but um yeah I, I, so i was yeah go ahead yeah, no, I, I was just going to sort of, I didn't really just kind of finish the, the thought of the the battalions, uh, but some good, you know, good insight from, from sort of what, what you know, how you sort of saw what, what I was talking about. Um, but yeah, the, the volunteer effort in Ukraine um, was an amazing thing to get all these battalions up and running to, to get them sort of situated, whatever their needs were. So then when the war started, you know, twenty. You know, the second phase, right? Uh, February twenty fourth, right? I don't know how to explain it. Ukraine already had their 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 uh, network uh, of volunteers, and it just basically they just kicked it up a notch, right? So right. I, I'm proud to say that uh, my partner Natalia, right, like I mentioned, she's been helping out the war effort from the beginning. So just to continue the story, uh, we're in Lviv. Um, I basically, Indima's in Lviv, um, we reside in, um, in Kiev, right? Um, so there is a, there's a speech by Putin a couple of days before, and I just saw the, in the eyes, just, there's something kind of crazy in there. Right. And I said, you know what? I go to Lviv once a month. Why don't we hightail it out of here and kind of go to Lviv for a little bit. Right. Yeah. So two days later, the war breaks out. Um, and we had a decision to make, uh, we could have, um, we could have crossed the border, uh, and sort of, you know, carried on, uh, Natalia's phone was just ringing off the hook. These are prior people. She's, uh, you know, helped battalions, groups of men, right. Women, uh, medics, um, for help, right. The, the network of volunteers just got sort of re-established right and we looked at each other and we said um let's do this let's let's uh let's put our heads together uh you know you know what you know and and what you're good at and i know what i'm good at i still didn't know what the hell i was going to do but okay let's (laughs) let's sort of piece this thing together right and um so you know we had to decide on what it is that we're going to do right because you know there's only so much you can bite off right and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's myself, her, and there's kind of, you know, this, this, this loose grouping of other people that she were, you know, that work part of her team. Right. Um, so we basically decided, um, uh, and primarily it was because of all the phone calls is, uh, vehicles were greatly needed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, um, uh, drones. So vehicles, drones, and thermal vision night systems were needed. Um, medical supplies. Yes. There were sort of other uh, groups that sort of focused on that. So we, we started, we, we had a, um, I don't know if it was a zoom call. Uh, We gathered a bunch of people globally, friends of mine, friends of hers and said, look, this is what we're going to focus on. Obviously we need funds. We need money. Uh, Let's, let's all do this. Right. And this was like, again, maybe two, three days in. Right. Um, So we started and um, you know, for me, I want to personally thank all, all my friends. Uh, it, it just, it, it, I'll get, I'm going to get choked up in a second here, but um, this is high school friends of mine, right? Uh, these are people I've known for a very long time. These are uh, people I've worked with, right? Um, these are people that basically picked up the phone and called me and said, um, you're doing the right thing. I trust you, right? Um, you don't hear a lot of that from people anymore, right? No. Um, you know, they basically said, we trust you Feziac, and we're going to send you money and we know that you're going to do the right thing with it. And that oh, wow. to me was just like, Whoa, I go, that's, that's quite wow. Um, people gave $50 people gave $15,000. Right. And they were, you know, wiring the money to my account. Right. Um, we were grabbing the funds. Um, I, I use the system, uh, I'm going to put a plug-in for them, I guess, right? Uh, Wise, Uh, Wise it's called, right? Mm -hmm. And an amazing app. Um, I I, I found it because it basically gives you the best exchange rates, right? But basically what you can do is you could create these free buckets of different currency, um british pounds uh u.s dollars Canadians, Lotte, francs whatever and then you can pull funds into that bucket once it's in that bucket you can basically then exchange it to any denomination or any currency you want right so it worked out really well because globally people were sending us money and they were like well do you want it in euros or u.s dollars or i go just send it. I don't care where it falls. It'll fall into the bucket. And then once it was in there, you know, say I, someone sent me a donation from, from, uh, the UK, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they send me the donation. My daughter lives in the UK. So she's like, dad, we're doing this. Yeah, let's let's go for it, right? So another story I'll tell you in a second. Yeah. Um, so she went and bought some drones and I was able to take the pounds I had in the account, didn't even have to exchange it. And I wired it to her bank account. So it was a lot of this mm-hmm. back and forth, but it, it was a beautiful system. So if we happen to have somebody in Spain or in in Poland or Germany. I just did the exchange quick, wired it, they got the money like within a day and they went and purchased either drones, thermal vision systems, vehicles. And so we created this this really efficient and effective system, right? Um, The other thing is you need a logistics path, right? So you bring a vehicle, you gotta go buy the vehicle, you gotta pay for the vehicle, you gotta get someone to initially find the vehicle. Mm-hmm. bring the vehicle right um so we actually um through a friend of a friend uh there's a, a grocery store chain that's uh basically they're headquartered uh oddly enough in piramish poland which is right on the border in poland and oh, wow. uh the um grocery chain uh, store is called uh, Piotr's Pan. that's in polish it translates into peter pan so it's peter pan grocery chain Right. Okay. And the way they helped us out was they, they've got warehousing. Right. So initially, when people were shipping over stuff, and people initially, you know, you know, there's something warm and fuzzy about, you know, you're in New Jersey and, you know, you find out your cousin's, you know, oh. going to fight and you want to send them a drone. Right. Um, so, you know, they get a hold of it me. Sounds, it's like, hey, sorry,
1: it here. sounds funny because, first of all, there's almost nothing warm and fuzzy about New Jersey. <laughs> but, I've been there. Some of the restaurants are good, but yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Don't get me started either. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole backstory to New Jersey with me, but yeah. anyway. Um, but yeah, it was like, you know, people, you know, goodness, goodness of their heart, they're collecting, they want to send the drone and I'm telling them, I'm going, look, we're buying like 30, 50, 60 drones. I'm like, just send me the money. I'll buy the drone and I'll, I'll give it to your cousin. There's no problem right Mm -hmm. no i want to send it you know three weeks later duty problems or whatever but anyway so we had we had those folks uh, helping us they they still have helped us today like if if you want to ship a single drone to us or if you want to ship uh 20 skids of canned goods i'll give you an address we'll ship it they'll hold on to it we'll bring it across the border uh for vehicles Uh, We've got another group of people, Ukrainians, that basically you've got, it's it's almost, it sits on the border. It's just basically like a holding yard that's gated. And we've, I don't know how many times we have brought vehicles in there um, because, you know, everything doesn't flow perfectly, right? So we bring in vehicles, we leave them there, give these guys the keys. Two, three days later, either we or somebody else starts a vehicle, brings it across. Um, So bringing vehicles across, really interesting story. Right. So war starts and, um, okay. We, we just kind of, we're going for it. Right. So we, um, as I mentioned, uh, you know, we've, we've got funding and we need to buy vehicles, drones, uh, thermal vision systems and so forth. Right. So we bought our first vehicle. It was a green, uh, Ford Ranger. Never forget it. Pickup truck and uh we've got it uh we brought it to medica uh, Medica is is that that sort of holding pen right on the polish side of the border so uh there's this one evening where uh we bought up a bunch of drones we we've purchased um uh, thermal vision systems um there's other ukrainian volunteers again very tight network right they know that we're on the polish side And that uh, we're coming across. Right. And there's a need and we got to get it done quickly. Right. So they're like, you know, they call up uh, Natalka and they're like, hey, we've got some some drones. We've got some night vision systems. Can you bring it over for us? And we're like, absolutely. Right. So we actually um, we brought over um With all the drones, I think I i, I tallied it up one one night. Uh, all the drones and thermal vision systems, because some of these things are like you know four thousand dollars a pop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we brought over probably about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of stuff in that pickup truck the, the first wow. time, right? Yeah. um You know, I, I kind of reflect on you know myself crossing the U.S. Canadian border. <laughs> it's yeah, right. kind to like that would be a little difficult, right? Yeah. Um, at the time um it was basically you pull up right i flash my passport what are you doing where are you going what do you got i've got stuff i get humanitarian aid right um okay not a problem go right through right uh they took a little peek okay it's good right It's we're going on they know what's going on right uh, where did you put the wheel? just out of curiosity i i took care of that in poland yeah so <laughs> Thank you, Poland. Yeah, there's a lot of stress. So you gotta you gotta kind of, you know, lay it down. Uh, (laughs) We uh, we go off 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 topic, but that's okay. Um, So this is the funny part of the story, right? Mm -hmm. It's actually it's not too funny. But um, the way you bring a a vehicle across today, because we've gotten good at it is you can purchase a vehicle, uh, you bring it to the border. Uh, it's a little different border crossings uh, in in between Poland and Ukraine. You've got to go through the Polish customs first and passport control, and then you go through the Ukrainian uh, border crossing, right? So uh, basically, you know, you got to show that uh, you know you've acquired the doc, uh, the the vehicle, it's in your name. Uh, usually, it's not even that you know I've gone to a, a registry office that they've kind of given me something you know like in in canada it's just a document of sale It's like here i've purchased this thing it's in my no. name okay great you're good to go right on the ukrainian side um you know you know, i think there's probably something similar in canada I've, I've never brought a vehicle over from the united states right but the rule is um you can bring a vehicle across right um as uh as, as a foreigner i can bring my vehicle across any vehicle across ukrainians put it in their database right and then you've got basically a year to drive that vehicle inside of ukraine on whatever plates could be canadian plates right and then you've got to get out of there you got a year if you don't you get a nice fine okay Okay. you get a heavy fine hit right so war breaks out we're running really fast right um this concept oh sorry i didn't explain that so what you've got to do is to bring it across legitimately. So that doesn't happen is you've got to take the vehicle that's in your name and you're basically like donating it to the army. Okay. okay. And the way that's done is you've got to get a, 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 an official letter from a battalion signed by a a higher up that like it's, it's legit. It's basically on letterhead Ukrainian army. This is the, the VIN number of the vehicle. This is the date. And basically, you hand it off to them. So basically, it doesn't go into the database as your vehicle. And that's it. And you deliver the vehicle. Well, there's a whole thing to delivering it, right? Right. So let me go back to my story with the green pickup truck, right? Um, We're moving really fast. And actually, there wasn't really a process with regards to these official military letters. So I basically, on my Canadian passport, I assigned the vehicle to me in the database, okay? so we deliver the vehicle like i'm not questioning stuff we deliver the vehicle and um so this is now what six months into the war i just brought the vehicle back so wow and the reason the reason is is the boys had it and there's amazing pictures and what they were doing with it like they they sent us pictures initially which we didn't publish right um yeah. which basically they put a uh, machine gun torrent on the back of the pickup truck oh, they sure. put a trailer with a larger machine gun system right i don't know if that's yeah. what it's called right yeah. um there was pictures of basically um uh bombs that they were bringing from from point a to b right so this thing's being used right it's also being used to evac wounded soldiers right um so once we kind of Found all this stuff out, we pleaded with these guys if they could actually bring it back, because the process is bring it back across the border, get right. the legitimate letter, and then release it. Right? Right. Okay. Um, so it was on my Canadian passport. The second <laughs> vehicle is a bit of a catch. It's sitting in a forest completely destroyed. Oh shit. Yeah. So but it was donated. Yeah. So- yeah. well it's donated but officially i'm supposed to drive that thing back out right because there was a letter and just to just to add to it that was on my uh polish passport so basically i'm a Uh. i'm a dual citizen that way right wow you're like an international
1: man of mystery now in a way right (laughs) or at least a a car salesman of mystery (laughs) yeah Yeah.
2: in that industry right but yeah so so we we've got the whole process down packed with regards to um Uh, bringing vehicles across. And then once they, they come across uh, either uh, people from the military will meet us in Lviv or we'll drive it to Kiev and we'll meet, meet these folks there. Uh, We document everything. We take pictures, we do video um, you know, for our donors to see where this is going. Once it's received at the, at the front, uh, a lot of men, like there's, there's situations where we've delivered the vehicles and, and guys are in tears. They're, they're really, they're like, you know, these people care, right? Uh, these, these things save lives, right? Yeah. I want to get back to that for just for a moment, because um,
1: I talked to uh, Peter Tatchell today he's from the UK. He's probably the most famous gay activist in world history. Seriously. He's been doing it for 50 years. Okay. Uh, and, and he, he funny, cause he's 70 and he looks like he's like 40. Um, but you know, but what I was talking to him about today and, and, and you kind of reminded me of that is that, sometimes we find ourselves in these places where we feel joy uh by being selfless and helping people in a certain situation even though we wish we didn't have to and that duality i'm wondering if that is a a, like you know if you've experienced that and if um and if it's it's just enough for your high school chums because uh, you know i got goosebumps when you said that to me because you know i i can imagine um just the emotion that's involved and then having to be practical and pragmatic while you're feeling emotional do you know what i'm saying like and ha- and is that is that a
2: challenge or is that a fuel yeah that's 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 a great question i i think it's a bit of both right I, i've never i've never experienced that type of sort of feeling, right? Like I always joke around and I say, I'm, I'm kind of the junior volunteer. The talk is the expert, right? right. Uh, she's been doing it forever. And well, that and just I've means just you're a good husband, it. Alex. That's all I mean. <laughs> right. That's I'm, I'm, I think I am anyway, but, um, um, yeah. So, you know, again, there there's moments. Yeah. You, you feed off of that energy. I, absolutely. Like there's another story I, I think I might've shared with this, uh, uh, with you today, mm-hmm. we're bringing stuff across. There was a small little motel uh that was uh, that's on the ukrainian side that we're in and um uh, basically the next morning so you don't get a lot of sleep you come over it's like four in the morning you're getting up at seven because there's ukrainian volunteers that have arrived that they're there to pick up um you know uh, medication or whatever it is that we've brought over right um and so uh these two uh these two asian fellas uh come up oh, yeah. Yeah, you, right yeah, they told me this today yeah. and um and I was like, you know, you just kind of see these guys and go, OK, wow. Well, I, I haven't seen Asian folks in, in like in, inside of Ukraine. I go and they're just kind of they're all watching us and they're coming up to me. Right. And the guy hands me his phone. Right. And uh, doesn't speak a word of English, Ukrainian or Russian. Right. And he's got Google Translator on. And basically he's sort of you kind of points to me and says, you know, if you can read it. Right. So I'm reading it and it just basically says, um, You know could you guys drive us to Lviv right and I'm like well these guys are going to Lviv right so I said uh I go sure we can drive you guys to Lviv I said uh where are you from and sort of why you want to go to Lviv and he writes back I'm look at I will never forget this right I'm looking at his phone and he just basically stated he goes we're from Taiwan and we're here to fight for Ukraine Wow. And I was like, it's just like I was in awe. I was I was shocked. I was I was like teary-eyed. I don't know, just all waves of emotions. And I and then part of me there's that, that, that sense of humor of mine, right? I'm sitting there going, okay, it's a Canadian inside of Ukraine that now has to thank these guys from Taiwan. I could have something <laughs> kind of interesting about it, <laughs> that, right. right? So I said, I go, just, guys, say, you,
1: you, just say you're sorry, right? Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly right the Canadian way no, so yeah. I basically I said, guys, you know, thank you for coming, Slava Ukraini, you know, you know thank you for coming and and helping uh helping this fight. just there's just something about that type of energy.
1: were you able to find out if uh one of the reasons why they were there is because of their own struggle for independence in Taiwan is that sort yeah. of the yeah is that why yeah. they were there that's yeah. that's pretty yeah. that's pretty visceral like that that you know that 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 transcends. Yeah, um you know um not nationalism because that has a whole different type of word to it now but you know what i mean that right. the uh, sovereignty yeah. you
2: know that kind of yeah. thing yeah yeah well look that that's a that's a whole theme in itself right like there's there's um there's many uh soldiers that we've helped uh bring them from poland uh into ukraine um and just I, i'm still kind of amazed uh you know james chalice has become a good friend of mine uh canadian vet and and he's uh he's gone over to fight he's back now he'll be sort of speaking at the engagement with me but um yeah there's these moments like it's again it's this whole energy right i I just get this phone call we happen to be in poland that um you know somebody found out uh, who i was got my phone number and uh, hey can you help me get across the border it's not like he can't get himself across the border, right? I'm not sneaking him across or anything. Yeah, it's just that okay. I, I can help him, right? Okay, fine, mm-hmm. right? So, um, yeah, so, you know, brought him across, right? Uh, we got him some food, uh, and they were off to the train station and, um, you know, on their way. But I just – to this day, we've, we've helped – uh Americans we've helped Brits uh we've helped uh, Belarusians uh Canadians right um yep. another story uh Curtis Bond great guy uh Canadian military guy and he he came over same kind of story just my phone rings I guess I got, I got a hotline published somewhere and uh <laughs> he's like hey I'm in Krakow uh, somebody said that I can call you you can help me out and uh um, I said, I go, sure. Yeah. No problem. I think one of the things I asked him, I go, do you drive stick? So we actually had him drive one of our vehicles across, which was really funny. Oh, nice. But, um, but yeah, just these, and, and it's interesting. Cause Ukrainians, um, I brought Chris into our office in Lviv or Curtis. I should say, sorry. And, uh, I remember, uh, you know, good looking guy, young guy. Right. And a lot of the females were like, like they were just in awe. They're like, hold on a sec. He's Canadian. And he's come here to fight for us. Like they were just like, my God, right? Can I touch him? You know, it's like, yeah. um, you know, uh, good for Curtis. He's a lot of good looking women in that office. But anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was just, but there's so many stories like that. Like this, this there, there's also stories and I haven't bumped into this, but James and, and, and the guys that I know have where it's just Yahoo's coming over right yeah. with yeah. either no military experience or maybe some and but they, their motivation like want, seems a little yeah yeah they want to be yeah, heroes and they want to do, and i don't know what they've got inside their heads but many of those guys you know once they got a taste of the front through what was going on um i heard yeah they they just got up and left right yeah. um james to me if 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 you read up on him and you take a look at what he's done I, he's a true hero he's i watched he's that an amazing interview guy interview with uh,
1: the National Post that you sent today, um, and I was super impressed with uh, first of all, with how authentic it was. Like, I wasn't putting on any fronts with that interview. He no, no, like, was, it was I, very straight up. I, I, I thought it was really telling um, when um, uh, the name of the journalist who I know um, escapes me right now, but I, I thought it was really telling when when he was asked about if, if the Canadian government was doing enough and and james was listing the equipment that was being sent over and that you know half the shit was broken you know um and there's lavs that are sitting around in in bases in canada that are not being shipped and you know and 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 then and listening to you you're when you were mentioning some of the equipment that you were sending over it was uh some of those, some of those pieces of equipment were the same pieces of equipment that James was saying the, that Canada was sending as as a government that wasn't working. Like, like you were, you were sort of partially making up for that shortfall. Uh,
2: yeah, you you could say that. And him and I had that chat, right? Like, he's he, what he saw is the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I try to be somewhat level headed and, and pragmatic. You know, I said to James at the time, I said, okay, you know, you've got. You know a certain sampling of what Canada has done with what you've seen, right? There's hundreds of battalions, right? Um, you know, there's so many men at the front. Um, Canada has done good uh, with a lot of weaponry. There's something else I can send you where uh, a lot of the weapons took out uh, many of the tanks that were basically surrounding Kiev, right? Um, so, but yeah, well, that's that's true. Uh, they may have sent uh, some bad some bad stuff, right? Um can you talk about
1: the drones because that blew my mind today um especially the thing with the 3D printer I don't want to spoil the story cuz I don't want to get anything wrong but when you told me that it was the first time I had ever heard that and it was the first time that I had ever uh first of all it was the first time that I had discovered that when 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 we uh when you're talking about drones we're not talking about the big planes that have missiles we're talking about the little surveillance drones and and talk about how they were outfitted this is crazy to me and in in such an innovative and
2: good way but yeah so again i I was also amazed when i when i found out sort of the process and and what they were doing with this right so what i'm talking about are are primarily consumer drones right or you could even sort of you know they're really expensive ones um are more used in industry, right? In movies um, and things like that. Yeah. yeah, and you start getting into the really pricey ones and then it kind of goes into sort of actual military uh, type of hardware, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but basically the the consumer drones, um, what they've devised, uh, uh, you know, a lot of these Ukrainian battalions um, is basically a mechanism where you've got a consumer drone and you've basically uh, put this cradle underneath it and basically, it depends on the size of the drone, but let's talk about sort of one, one you know, bomb. Uh, so basically, you've got this cradle where you can basically hold on to a grenade. You can fly it to a particular location. And then at the right time, because visually you're seeing what's going on, uh, you can then open and it drops. Right? That is crazy. Uh, So that's the mechanism. So you could you Mm -hmm. could easily find that online and I I can send you something on that. But, um, yeah, the the other part of that story, which is really interesting, right? Um, There's a there's a huge stockpile of old Soviet weapons inside of Ukraine and, you know, uh, armaments like grenades and just old stuff right so it's pretty ingenious because what they've done is they've taken these old uh, grenades bombs uh, my expert in this uh but yeah. what they've done is they've 3d printed because a grenade stays round right so when you drop it yeah. you know you know you want to kind of gu- you know you want to kind of guide it right as it's falling right so yeah. they've 3d printed fins on the back of it and attached it to these grenades ah, so crazy. basically they can just they can drop it a lot of video where you see sort of underneath the drone, the thing kind of wiggling, and then they let it go and it just, and it just falls. Right? So does
1: it pull the pin? Does gravity pull the pin? Like how does that work?
2: It, it, the mechanism pulls the pin. Yeah. Okay. So it depends on the type of armament. There's, there's larger kind of systems where basically it just, once it hits that kind of detonates. Right. So right. Um, very inventive, uh, very creative. um Yeah. Systems that they put together.
1: So what does the, uh, future, the, the, the short-term future look like for you, uh, and your wife and your organization? Are you just still, you know, plowing forward and, and trying to raise money and trying to, to send as much equipment over as you can still and medical supplies, I believe as well. Is that, is that just, you're just, you're just in the, you know, you're, you're sort of in the influx of all that right now. And that's, that's really not going to stop until the war stops. Is that the idea?
2: Yeah, that, that's that's a great question, right? What's the short term? Um, you know, the short term is, um, you know, yes, we we continue to uh, to you know support. Um, you know, we continue to get. We just we just can't cover. Uh, the uh, the requirement uh, right now that, that we've gotten from people, from battalions and so forth, right? right. Um, so, you know, there's that moment where I, I guess if you don't want to do it anymore, there's got to be sort of a hard stop, right? Um, right? But that's not in the cards for us right now, right? Um, well, that said, we need a bit of a breather because we haven't uh, sort of taken any time off. It's just been go, go, go. So it's sort of the focus on the daytime job as well as the volunteering uh so that's um um yeah it it uh it's kind of you know takes a toll at some if point. you if you play your cards right it sounds
1: like you could become like the world's nicest arms dealer you know like that might be a <laughs> another hollywood <laughs> movie yeah, yeah, yeah it, it, might be an it
2: might not sell but yeah
1: and also uh you read putin's eyes not in the same way that george bush did do you <laughs> remember that I he said, "I looked I into his soul. I looked into his eyes, and I saw his soul. Right? And he was fine with it somehow.
2: <laughs> you know. Well, you know, you got to have a certain level of IQ, I guess, to sense
1: what's inside someone's soul. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's fair enough. <laughs> um, so, listen, I, 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 before we go, I, I wanted, I just want to let everyone know that you've been on the front lines before, and I'm going to play a clip here, and uh, and and we're gonna we're gonna watch you." Uh, You know, in action, and this must have been really hard. (laughs) There he is. This is the Ukrainian voice, right? The voice?
2: Yeah, the the voice (laughs) from Ukraine. Yeah. It's one of those fun facts. Yeah. (laughs) I'm See, gonna, I'm doing a plug open. on Toronto. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Okay, here we go. <laughs> deny. Was that the name of the band that you played in? Yeah, yeah deny. Yeah. Sorry, I just, I just saw it. I saw I, it. I'm surprised. I'm surprised you didn't make any accordion jokes.
1: I, I kind of. Um, someone sent me, uh, like about three months ago, all these hip hop beats that were sampling accordions. Accordion. It was so fucking dope. It was amazing. So, so now I don't think I can. Every time I see an accordion now, I think of two, one of two things. I either think of those hip hop beats or Weird Al. Both pretty dope, right? Like <laughs> I can weird balance, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I won't. Uh, well, actually, let me just fast forward it to like where you actually sing, because you're a
2: great singer. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I
1: have to pause for a second because uh this is the funniest comment I've seen in a long time.
2: <laughs> you said for a
1: <laughs> <laughs> But but this is it's not even for you, it's for someone else in the chat. But but it would have been great for you as well because you're so eclectic, right? Like <laughs> I can answer that question,
2: right? So yeah. Look at them, they love you. He's like he's a foreigner, the guy says. Is that what he said?
1: now listen i don't want to see you lose so i'm going to stop it there but do you want yeah, me to no, continue?
2: It, no, it's it's all good there was a bit of a controversy yeah. with the with the husband and wife team there and oh, this was this? hilarious he was going to push Is it, it on this clip and- yeah, you might see it, but he was going to push it, and she held his arm back, right? So online, when the video was shown, oh, my, you would lie. It was all in Ukrainian. People just slamming her, calling her every word in the book. It was funny. That
1: poor woman. Right? I won't put her through any more uh, any more trauma. <laughs> um, Are you Ukrainian famous? Is that, like, are you domestic? Are you, a, like, a famous person in, in Ukraine?
2: No, no, absolutely no?
1: not. Oh, okay. Because no, no, your no, band did pretty well, it seemed. Like you um you,
2: the band, yeah, the band's very well known in the Ukrainian diaspora, uh in mm-hmm. Canada, United States. I think I think I are I you like the tragically up. hip of Ukraine? Is that kind of the thing? <laughs> yeah, like not, sorry, not the it. music
1: is the same, but you know, you go to the United States and ask a hundred people who the tragically hip are.
2: Maybe one or two might know who you're talking about.
1: But in right, you know what I mean? right. Like, um
2: the, the, look in in the centers where there's a lot of Ukrainians being, you know, Toronto, Calgary, Edmonton, Montreal. Uh everybody, yeah, people know who the, who Dunai is. We've been around since I was like. 16 years old right uh, yes. so i think we've done a thousand gigs from last time i counted whether it's weddings or anniversaries or festivals or whatever right so right. uh i'm still writing still writing music and uh, just kind of waiting Good. waiting to kind of settle down a little bit with time and then kind of watch something well listen i, I i'm so happy
1: that uh, i was able to talk to you today and invite you on um we're we're, we're gonna wrap now but I would like you to come back because I think that um, we we could talk a lot more. I, I enjoyed the parts of the, I enjoyed the whole conversation, but I, I was really impressed with uh, the fact that we could get sidetracked a little bit into the politics and it was, it made for interesting conversation. Like the, the, that's something that I always enjoy because a, I, I enjoy talking about politics, but i think that there are so many uh, offshoots and and tributaries uh to this story these like ancillary important details mm-hmm. about the political side of all this whether it's nato or russia propaganda or whatever and uh, you know and, and i think that we we can't lose sight of we we should never lose sight of how politics poisons everything but we should also be able to talk about it i think so i really appreciate you coming and um, again, the event that you're speaking at happens uh, on October 14th. So that's on Friday at 6 p.m. The yep. address is 145 Evans Avenue in Etobicoke. It's called the Frontline Narratives. See the war in Ukraine through the eyes of the front line. And it's with James Chalice, who's a Canadian soldier that fought in Ukraine from March to September of this year, and yourself, Alex Fasiak. Is that right?
2: Spot on. Excellent. Yeah. Everybody's welcome. Uh, you're going to hear more of, uh, you know, sort of what I took, uh, everybody through on, on this, uh, video call and, uh, just a lot of interesting stories and there's, you know, some interesting, very interesting video and, uh, and photographs and stuff like that. So, yeah. Well, I appreciate
1: your time, sir. Thank you so much for joining us today on black Bulb.
2: Not a problem, James. Thanks for having me. Appreciate we'll it. Talk Thank, you. Now. Thank you so All much.
1: You. Alex Fasjak. I, I love it that I can say that name. It's, uh, it makes me feel proud. Um, no, big, big thanks to Alex for, for coming. That was a completely unexpected, uh, guest that I would have today. I thought I was just going to do Peter Tatchell today, but, uh, I really enjoyed that. I hope you guys did too. Uh, today's Wednesday tomorrow. I have M Griner. She's a singer. She is an author. The healing power of singing is her book. Uh, she toured with David Bowie. Uh, and so that's dope as hell. And then on Friday, Rob Kiblikin and I are going to be doing heinous cases, and we are going to be talking about the Paul Bernardo case. But uh, no, no, but. And thank you for thank you for joining us. Listen, everybody in the chat again, there's something wrong with my chat overlay. I always only see Jen and DeCosta now. I think Ria's there. Uh, Mel, I think I see you there. And that is about it. Uh, but I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. And we will see you next time on Blackball.
0: Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth.